All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Israel bowled in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stained from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come into your presence now, we come in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you'll touch us and help us these next few moments. I pray that you'll speak to hearts and may the will of God be done. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. I want to preach this morning on this subject on what's plaguing America. What's plaguing America? In Numbers chapter 25, we find here that this text is filled with a lot of different types of transgressions. The sin of immorality and idolatry and open rebellion is in these verses that we have read this morning. When you come to this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 5 the sin of the crowd here. As Israel uh, has come and took the daughters of Moab, uh, the the Word of God says in verse number 1, and has begun to commit immorality with them. And then if that is not enough, in verse number 2, they begin to commit idolatry as they fall down and they worship uh, the God of Moab. And the Bible said in verse number 3 that Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So we see here their perversion and we're about to see their punishment as God is upset with Israel because of the sin of idolatry and immorality and God is about to deal with them. He's about to punish them for their perversion here in verse number 4. The Lord said to Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Now this is proof that God is never going to allow sin to be unpunished. God is always going to deal with sin, whether it be His people or any people. uh, God will deal with sin. So there's a sin of this crowd. Then there is the sin of a couple in verse number 6 down to verse number 8. The Bible said, Behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So we see here open and outlandish and obvious sin is being committed before the man of God and before the people of God. And the Bible says in verse number 7 that Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he thrust it through the man and through the woman's belly, killing them both. And so we see the sin of the crowd, the sin of a couple. But then I want you to notice verse 8 and 9, the latter part of verse number 8 and verse number 9 is where we want to preach from this morning. I want you to notice here the suffering of the country. As the Bible says here that so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel and those that died in the plague was 20 and 4,000. Can you imagine 24,000 people lose their lives because of sin? That God sends a plague upon the nation of Israel because of their sin and 24,000 people lose their life. Uh, Listen, Israel was a great nation. Israel was a grace nation. God had been good to Israel. God had blessed Israel. And Israel in this text is a guilty nation. So we notice that about the nation of Israel. But doesn't that sound familiar today? I'm preaching on what's plaguing America. Because America, a lot like Israel in our text, is a great nation. America is a grace nation. God has blessed America. And as the songwriter said, God has shed His grace on thee. But America is also a guilty nation. America is a nation that is experiencing the plague 
experiencing the plagues of God. And when you think about this COVID-19 virus and our president, I know on two different occasions that I've heard his press conferences where that he has used the word plague talking about the COVID-19 virus. He has talked about how that has been a plague around the world and has been a plague upon this nation. And when you think about the plague that is upon our nation today and how that has brought this nation to its knees and brought days of uncertainty like you and I never thought we would see before. When you think about that plague, there are plagues upon this nation that have been here longer and they're a whole lot more fierce than COVID-19. And that's what I want us to look at. Just as 24,000 people died because of this plague, I wonder today about the plagues of America. What is plaguing America? I want to say first of all, I'll say that what is plaguing America is the sins of perversion. The sins of perversion. I'm talking about sins such as pornography. A $14 billion a year industry. There were people have profited off the wickedness and this sinful uh, sinful perversion that has taken place. When you think about the sin of pornography, it's larger than, that's $14 billion is larger than any major league uh, uh, sports event that takes place throughout a year. It's estimated that it makes more money than those major sports events. And you think about, uh, listen, how wicked that is. It's a pathway to filthiness. It's a pathway to infidelity. It's a pathway to divorce. It's a pathway to financial loss. It's a pathway that leads to teen fornication, sexual crimes, and even human trafficking. So when you consider uh, this sin, a perversion, pornography is plaguing America. For the last 20 years, America uh, has, has invested $10 billion a year in the sin of pornography. No wonder uh, our young people today, their minds and their morals are deteriorating. Uh, their conversations and character has been corrupted because of the sins of pornography. Even when you go to the grocery store and you stand in line to pay for your groceries, you have to turn away from the magazine racks because of all the filthiness that is being plastered and portrayed for, for our young people to see. And that's a sin of perversion that is plaguing America. I think about the sin of sodomy. When you consider the sin of sodomy, 4.5% of adult Americans profess to be a sodomite. I'm talking about the lesbian, the gays, the bisexuals, the transgender, all this movement that uh, we're seeing in these last days. And we're living in a time when uh, they, want, they want the same-sex marriages and they, they want the right to adopt children and stand in pulpits and proclaim to be preachers and Sunday school teachers. And that's a sin of perversion that's plaguing America that I believe makes God sick. First Kings chapter 15 and verse number 11, the Bible says, And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and as did his fa- David his father and he took away the sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols and his, that his father had made. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse number 17, the Bible clearly says, there shall be no whore of the daughter of Israel nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse number 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind it is an abomination. So God is clear about the sin of sodomy. God is clear that it is an abomination that is an unaccepted lifestyle in the eyes of God. And we're living in a time when we're experiencing that plague, uh, the plagues of sinful perversions through the sin of sodomy, through the sin of pornography. What about the sin of adultery? The Bible says clearly in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, Jesus says, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, his wife saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is, that is divorced, committeth adultery. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 32, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. So the sin of adultery, it's affected our pulpits. It's affected, uh, listen, our pews, our politicians. I mean, we're living in a time when... This is a sin that is eating our country up like a cancer. And men of God need to preach against the sin of adultery, the sin of sodomy, the sin of pornography. These are serious sins. I read one statistic that said that surveys show that 22% of married men have committed adulterous acts at least once in their life. 14% of married women have had affairs at least once during their married lives. The percentage of men and women who admit to having an affair with a co-worker 
co-worker is 36%. I mean, we're talking about adultery that's running rampant in our country. The sins of perversions is plaguing our nation. And then what about the sin of fornication? Our young people shacking up and living up without, uh, without ever a contract or a covenant. Uh, they, they're living outside the bonds of holy matrimony, living like dogs together. And we're living in a time when the, the, the decency of marriage is being taken away. The average young, people, young person today knows more about uh, uh, sexual sins than, than most adults knew years ago before they was even married. And today we're living in a time when they've seen so much through Hollywood, through the video games, and, and through different uh, magazines and books. It's been pumped into their minds. And, and we need to preach against the sin of fornication. I want every young person to know that, that just God's will for you to live pure and that you to, you to live a clean life. And when you walk down the wedding aisle, if you're a young lady, you ought to have a white dress on and you ought to be able to wear that white dress because you've been pure. Amen? And if you've not been pure, you shouldn't wear a white dress. And, and then if you're a young man, I want you to know that, that it's, it's, it's a good testimony to be able to stand at the marriage altar and be able to say that you're a virgin and that you've kept yourself clean and, and you've saved yourself for, for that person that you're going to marry and spend your life with. And we're thinking about talking about the sin of fornication. That's one of the sins of perversions in this day and time. And then the sin of drunkenness. That's plaguing America. 6.3 billion gallons of alcohol a year has been consumed by Americans. Over 88,000 people died last year as a result of the sin of drunkenness. When you think about America, how much alcohol that America consumes year in and year out, the devil's brew, and that's what it is. And God is not pleased with social drinking. God is not pleased with, with liquor and wine. And I tell you, we're in a warped society. Uh, whenever they say church is non-essential, but they say a liquor store is essential, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, listen, the drunkenness is not a disease. It's a sin. The Bible's very clear about that. And it's the sin of drunkenness that has plagued this nation for, for too long. And as men of God, we need to preach again. I'm talking about the plagues of America. Number one is the sins of perversion. Number two, what about the slaughter of precious babies? The slaughter of precious babies. Since 1973, when Roe versus Wade became legal, America has killed over 62 million babies. The wombs of mothers have become tombs for many. And I think that that is a plague that has plagued our nation there's ever been a time when we ought to stand against abortion is today. It's legalized murder. And we've got wicked governors across this land that are so uh, demonic and so, so wicked that they're even for partial birth abortion. And some have even went to the extent of saying, now let's just kill the baby a few minutes after birth. And friend, that's wicked. That's murder. They ought to be locked up and put in jail somewhere. And said, I want to say we ought to stand against the, 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 the slaughter of precious babies. For, for Listen, America has been murdered murdering over a million babies for the past several years. When you consider that today, and I know a lot of times they'll make statements like this. They'll say, well, uh, you know, abortion, uh, uh, those that, pr- that promote abortion, they promote it because they, they say it's due to incest or, or due to rape or due to the mother's health and saving her life. But it's not what the statistics say. If you look the statistics up, due to incest, less than 1%. Babies have been aborted year, year after year due to incest. Less than 2% because the mother's life is at risk. Less than 13% have been aborted because of rape. But I want to tell you 25% have been aborted because the mother says, I'm not ready to be a mother. 23 of all abortions have taken place because the mother says, I cannot afford a child. 19% have been aborted because she says, I'm done having children. I don't want any more children. 8% have been aborted because she says, I do not want to be a single mother. 7% of those that have been aborted have been due to the fact the mother says, I'm not mature enough to raise a child. And 4% have been aborted because the mother says it interferes with my education or my career. Friend, we're living in a warped society that says it's okay to murder children. I'm talking about the slaughter of precious babies has brought a plague upon this country. God is upset with that. The voice of those children are crying out to God for justice and retribution uh, for the slaughter of these unborn. No doubt that the blood of the innocent is on the hands of doctors and politicians
friends and those who have supported and those who have legalized murder. I'm talking about the plagues of America is the sins of perversion and the slaughter of precious babies. Then what about the slyness of politicians? We're living in a day when there's so much corruption in the political realm. They want to destroy our Constitution. They want to dictate our churches. And they want to disarm our citizens today. That's their purpose. That's their goal. They live on their Cadillac insurance. They, ch- they live off taxpayers' dollars and draw salaries till the end of their lives. And, and they live and, and have an agenda that's all about power. And it's all about socialism and communism. And they want to take away our religious rights and our civil rights. And I want to say we're living in, uh, in a country that is quickly losing our freedom. And it's time as America. That, that we pray, but the slyness of politicians, they, they want to uh, override the Constitution and do away with the Constitution because, uh, listen, they don't want us to have our rights today. And that's the slyness of politicians when, whenever they speak. And it doesn't matter if they're a Democrat or Republican. I, listen, you can't trust either, either party on either side of the aisle. I do thank God for our president. I thank God for uh, those that are part of his administration. I know that, uh, listen, he's not the Messiah. I know that. And I and I believe that, but I believe he has the, this country's best interest in mind. I thank God for him, and we pray for him. We pray that God will continue to bless him and strengthen him and give him a backbone and help him to win as he has been. That's nothing more than the favor of God, that in wrath God is remembering mercy. But I want to tell you, God's mercy is going to run out on this nation one day, and the sins of perversion and the slaughter of precious children and the slyness of politicians is corrupting our land and bringing great havoc and problems upon our nation. Hey, when politicians will stand up and boldly and and brassingly make statements before all uh, that, listen, that we know is unconstitutional, it tells us one thing. They don't care what the American people think. They don't care where we stand. And the slyness of these politicians, and they'll say anything to get elected, but they have their own agenda, their own purpose, their own plan. I'll tell you what I pray. I pray, God, bless America. God, be merciful to America. God, help those that are standing for what's right. And God, defeat those politicians that have an evil agenda. And I think about the slyness of politicians today, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's, the Adam Schiff's, and many, many others from the top level all the way down to the lower level. Those that would try to close the doors of the church and use a pandemic as a time to promote their own evil agenda and socialism. Hey, it's time that as men of God that we stand against that, preach against that. And I believe that's plaguing America today, the slyness of politicians. But what about the subtraction of prayer and Bible? What about taking prayer and Bible out of our schools and our homes? That's plaguing America today. The average public school system... They pass out contraceptives. They promote evolution, same-sex marriages, safe sex. They produce. uh, They promote all of that all the while. Uh, Listen, they you cannot pray in the public school systems. They'll tell you. I know that there are uh, those, and thank God for those that are going in and and holding uh, uh, services, and those that are able to go in and have prayer meetings and 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 teach the word of God in certain places. But you know as well as I do that it's a battle. And they listen. They kicked God out of public schools long ago. They listen. They've taken prayer and Bible out of the schools and and thank God there are those that are missionaries and that are working and striving to get it put back in but they've got a battle on their hands and the devil is fighting on the forefront of that battle. You know why? Because that affects the the next generation. If we can put a Bible in this next generation's hand and if we can get them to look back to God and get back on their knees we can turn a generation to God and the devil knows that and so he wants to push God out of the equation and promote his own agenda and evolution and all these different types of things that we just mentioned, but the subtraction of, 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 of prayer and Bible in our public schools has, has reaped havoc on our schools in these last days. Many of you remember growing up in days when you started the day off with a pledge of allegiance to the flag and, and prayer and the reading of the scripture. You never had to worry about uh, you never had to worry about someone coming into the school or and, and turning a gun, some young person on another young person and taking their lives. And, and days when uh, parents and teachers uh, agreed together and teachers uh, believed in discipline and, and respect and those things were taught in our in our public schools. And now look at the shape that they're in today. When so many uh, teachers have been uh, just like politicians and even preachers, they've been caught in all different types of acts of immorality and they become. 
become uh, one of the teens themselves. And I want to tell you what teenagers need. They need an example. They need someone to look up to. They need someone that will be responsible. But they kick God and, uh, out of our public schools. And that's why our nation is in the trouble that it's in today. And I see here the subtraction of prayer and Bible in our public schools. How about in our homes? When you think about the, the mess that our homes are in today, it's so sad that the average church-going family today, they've allowed Hollywood... They've allowed so many things uh, uh, to come into the, the home today. I think about the, the parents today. They give their children cell phones at such a young age. You know, you think about most parents can't handle cell phones, let alone putting it in the hands of young people. And parents will make silly statements such as things like, well, I trust my young person, or I know my young person, or, or you know, well, they've got to grow up at some point. You know the problem I have with all those statements? You can't find any of them in the Word of God. That's not what the Bible teaches us. We're to train our children. We're to, we're to guard our children. We're to shelter them. We're to put a hedge around our children while they're living at home and put principles and standards in their life. But in the average home today, I wonder how many parents are really concerned about the spiritual well-being of their children. I wonder how many of them is really concerned about their children having a personal prayer life, a working knowledge of the Bible, being filled with the Holy Spirit, surrendering to the mission field. These are all things that as parents, if we love God, we ought to want our children to have these desires. But they can't have those desires if they spend their days playing hours on top of hours of video games or staring into a phone or, or staring into an iPad and looking, uh, surfing the net and looking at things. But I'm going to be honest with you. The reason that young people are attracted to that is because a lot of parents are. There's a lot of parents that have marital problems and issues because they spend their days sitting on a cell phone rather than around the table with family at dinner time, family altar, praying, reading the Word of God together. They spend their time looking uh, on social media sites, looking on internet sites. And I'm not saying that, that everything is bad, but I'm saying there's something wrong in America when we've allowed technology to rule our home and technology to run our home. And, and we, it, it has silenced the home, the conversation between fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and, and between spouses, one with another. People sit for hours and don't even speak to each other because they're enamored by, by the things uh, that they see in the technical world. That's a problem in our society and people don't uh, listen they don't read together they don't pray together like they used to I'm talking about what's plaguing America today is that we've taken the Bible and we've taken prayer out of our homes and our schools you know you can go to a good church and you can hear good preaching you can hear a man of God get up and preach and he can preach on sin and everything else but I'm going to tell you something your home will self-destruct it'll fall apart if you don't go home and learn to pray with your children your home's not going to make it spiritually if in your wife don't learn to read the Bible. Have personal devotion and pray together. Dad, how spiritual are you? Mother, how spiritual are you? How many hours a day do you spend doing other things versus the Word of God and prayer? You say, well, preacher, I, I work and, and I work hours. And, and preacher, I'm busy taking care of children and, and I don't have that much time. No, but you ought to make some time every day. I think it, it is plaguing our country that people have spent... All this other time in the entertainment world, and I'm not against entertainment, don't misunderstand me. I'm just making the point that the problem today is that people are too busy working and shopping and, and doing so many other things, uh, sitting around their phone and those type of things versus spending time in prayer. You know, a personal prayer life is so important. Reading the Word of God every day is very important. You cannot be the Christian. You cannot be the spouse. You cannot be the young person. You'll miss the will of God. You'll, you'll not hear the voice of God if you don't spend those days. Bible and prayer is so important in, in, our, in all of our lives. And I cannot stress that enough. That Listen, when we pray, as Moody said, we talk to God. And when we read the Bible, He talks to us. And I want to say Moody even made this statement. He said, the older I get, he said, I spend more time reading than I do praying just because I believe it's more important that I hear from God than what God hears from me. Now, he wasn't minimizing prayer. Moody spent much time in prayer. But he was say, talking about the importance of the Bible. What kind of personal life do you have with God in your home, not in church? I think the temperature of the church is a reflection of the temperature of our homes. Oh, listen, I think uh, I see things on on social media so many times. And here lately, I've just been preaching on it. I Probably because with the, everything that's went on, I've, I've seen more than I would normally see. But I look at some of the things that people post. It's so shameful. 
People that say that they're Christians. I see things that I'm not talking about young people. I'm talking about moms and dads. I'm talking about people that go to church on a week-to-week basis. I, I would ask you, Dad, I would ask you, Mother, when you post them things, what does your children think about you? Sir, what does your wife think about you? Ma'am, what does your husband think about, about you? What does your church think about you? What does your pastor think about you? Every pastor will tell you there are things that people in their congregation post that, that are shameful, they're, they're sinful, they're, they're things that do not honor God, they're, they're, they're things that hurts the testimony of the church and they do not help the cause of Christ. And one day, one day, I think just like we'll give an account for everything that we say, we'll give an account for everything that we post, everything that we text, everything that, everything that we put out there, one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of that. And most of all, I would ask you this, What does the Lord Jesus Christ think about those things? I think if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to repent in our homes, get the Bible and prayer back in our homes. Mom and dad, you're going to have to institute that again. You're going to have to turn off the devices. You're going to have to gather the family around the altar. Perhaps maybe that's what God is doing through all of this, is trying to bring us back to the family altar Get us back on our knees around the coffee table once again and spending time in prayer and asking God for guidance, for leadership, putting our hands on our children and praying, God, would you touch them? Let them hear you pray and ask God to use their life. There's no greater influence. A preacher can put his hands on your children and pray, and that's good. There's something about a mother and a father putting their arm around their their child and saying, let's pray together. Let's ask God to to, to use your life and, and use it for the glory and the honor of God. I'm talking about, listen, that one of the things that's plaguing America is the subtraction of prayer and Bible in our schools and homes. Then I'll say another thing that's plaguing America is the silence of preachers in our pulpits. The difference in our text verses today is that Moses was not afraid to deal with the sin that was before him. Moses was not afraid to do what God had told him to do. He wasn't afraid to tell these others what God had told him to say. And I wonder today, we're living in a time when preachers are afraid to preach on sin. And I'm not talking about getting up and, and just uh, ranting. I know that there are some that, uh, listen, they're that are not bold enough, but there are some that, that listen, they're too belligerent enough. Their, their whole idea of preaching against sin is getting up and just seeing how mean they can get. And I'm not talking about that. I think you can be bold and biblical at the same time and be balanced, and, and that's what we ought to be. But, hey, we ought to preach against sin. Preachers ought to not be afraid to get up and call sin out and, and call it by name. And, and that's the only thing that's going to bring revival in this country again is if men of God will start preaching hammering on sin like they used to, get up and preach without the fear and the favor of man. But the silence of preachers in our pulpits is destroyed us. And we need some men of God that will name sin and call it out by name from the Bible. Just give, give chapter and give verse and, and preach against the sins of, of America and the sins that's going on in our churches today. If our churches are going to get clean, somebody's going to have to preach against sin. We have a generation of young preachers today that have come up that know little if anything at all, about the power of God. I'm I'm not an authority on it by no means. But I'm afraid the popularity and the pride of, of preachers is destroying us today. I'm fully convinced that we're living in a time that if preachers would get right with God, we could turn this nation back. I really believe that preachers may even be the biggest problem today. You say preacher. Over politicians? Over people sitting in the pews? Absolutely. When you see the pride of preachers today... When you see preachers that are striving for celebrity status, preachers, young men, of, young men that, that listen, they, they've never learned how to pray. They've never learned how to steal away. They all want to be that Elijah of Carmel, but they don't want to be that Elijah of Cherith. They don't want to hide somewhere. They don't want to get off somewheres and, and not be seen. And I want to say this. When I say young preacher, I'm talking about anybody under 40 years of age. One of the things that bothers me today is preachers in their 20s and 30s that feel like they have such a voice I call them first responders. Anytime anything happens, they're the first to respond to it. You know, one of the things I learned, and I'm, I'm 45 years old. I'm not, a, I'm not an old man. I'm not a young man. But you know, one of the things I learned growing up under older preachers was to keep my mouth shut, to stay out of certain conversations, to learn that I hadn't matured enough spiritually to engage in some things. I, I never felt like that hindered me from preaching the Bible. 
But I'm amazed that young preachers today, they need a lot of help. I'm talking about preachers in their 20s and preachers in their 30s. I'm talking about some that they pastored a church two or three years. They've been a missionary for two or three or four years. They've been an evangelist for a few years. And they feel like they have such a voice that, that they're quick to go out and respond and say things. They, they want to be that first responder to whatever uh, is going on around the world or whatever's happening. Uh, you know, they, they've always got something to say. You think about these these older men of God that are more spiritual, that are more mature. You know what they practice? They practice what the Bible said in the book of James. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. I think you can tell a lot about a preacher by how much he talks. I think about spirit-filled men of God. or They choose their words wisely. They, they pick their battles wisely. They're not quick. doesn't mean that they don't have an opinion. doesn't mean that they are not taking a stand. But it means that they have learned how to use self-control. They've learned how... And I want to say to every young preacher that's listening right now, stop posting and start preaching and start praying. Get off the Internet. Quit, quit trying to be heard by, by those out there in the Internet world. Quit, quit, quit pr- uh, promoting yourself and just, <clears throat> just get in the the Word of God, get on your knees, get in a private place, get under your pastor. You say, well, I am a pastor. Well, listen, you ought to look to a man of God that's older than you and not feel like you have such a voice, not feel like that you're someone who your opinion matters. You know, I think about that. I'm 45 years old, and the older I get, the more I realize and feel that my opinion really doesn't matter. What I have to say about something. I don't think people are just standing in line dying to hear what I have to say about something. But I see young men that are ruining their testimony. They're wrecking their ministry. They're losing influence. They're keeping influence with some. But with the people that it really matters with, they're losing their influence because they've always got to have something to say. They've always got to put something out there. And I'll tell you, one of these days, you're going to look back on that and you're going to feel sorry to be sorry that you did that. In fact, I will go as far as to say this. The spirit of a young man in his 20s and 30s will determine the level of maturity he's going to have in his 40s and his 50s and his 60s and 70s. I thank God for preachers that rebuked me and told me to stay in my place. I thank God for older saints that told me, you sit back, you be quiet, you take a back seat. I, I didn't feel like it. That, and, and I could name you a host of young preachers that we started out with. We were taught that. We were taught to... We, and even now in our 40s, we, we sometimes we get around men that are older than us and we just want to be quiet. We just want to hear what they have to say. And, and we don't feel like that, that, that we even have the, the entitlement to speak. But now we have a generation of young preachers that feel they're entitled. They, they've pastored a church for five years and feel like that they have as much wisdom. Or, or they've been on the mission field for four or five years. And they feel like uh, they've got the, 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 the longevity. And they feel like they've got a voice to put something out there. And I'm not talking about leaving prayer requests. And I'm not talking about asking folks to pray. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of drama that goes on amongst preachers that I think if preachers would drop the drama get on their face and pray get in the field that God has put them in put their hand to the plow and just mind their own business and plow their own field. Hey listen friend I'm not ecumenical. I don't want to hold hands with everybody else but I don't know about you but I get sick and tired of the preachers in this generation. I'm talking about all of them. I'm talking about the politicians and and the puppets and the performers and, and the powders and I'm talking about the police and I'm talking about the pharisaical preachers I'm talking about all of the. Uh, there are those that, that they won't take a stand against nothing. And then there are those that think they're the only ones that is taking a stand. I don't want anything to do with either one of those crowds. But what I'm saying is as a young preacher, you'll do yourself wise to find the will of God for your life, put your hand to the plow, serve God, and be faithful and mind your own business. I love preachers. But I think that young men need to hear that. I think young men need to be reminded, you don't know as much as your pastor You don't know as much as those that have been... Your two cents doesn't matter. People don't care what you think about something. The only thing people ought to care about is what God said in this book. And we ought to be interested in just preaching the Bible and taking a stand and just preaching the the doors that God opens for us. And I think about preachers today. And listen, I I think about the laziness of preachers. This society that we're living in. Listen, a, a lot of preachers are lazy. They won't work the field God put them in. And I know it sounds like I'm just on preachers, and I reckon I am, but I feel like it's, a, it's plaguing our nation, the silence of preachers. 
preachers that are so lazy that and I think churches ought to take care of men of God. I think they ought to I think they ought to be be good to men of God, but I want to say this is uh, every preacher ought to know how to work. They ought to have a work ethic. They ought they ought not be lazy. And I see men of God today, they think they're entitled to things in the ministry. I'm even talking about men my age. You know, the church doesn't owe us anything. Thank God for uh, congregations that love their pastor and love missionaries and love evangelists. But even through all of this, uh, I would hear things that would be said and I would think to myself, well, what would be wrong if, if preachers, if things got so bad that we just had to go work a job? We just had to do like everybody else does. I mean, I don't want to do that. I want to be full-time in the ministry and do as much as I can for God. But I'm not above working. I'm not above sweating. I'm not above getting out. And I'm not bragging on the flesh. I'm just saying there's a different generation to day. Listen, I think some, I think young preachers ought to have to get out there and work and sweat. And I'll tell you something else, they ought to have to not be full time for a long time so that they'll appreciate it when they are and they will have built some character in their life. But we have young preachers today that, listen, uh, they feel like the church owes them something and rather than pray, they hint. As a man of God, you ought to learn to trust the Lord. Nothing wrong with missionaries sharing burdens and needs. And I like to see prayer letters where they'll say, we have this need, would you pray about that? I thank God for that. But I'll tell you, if your testimony is you're a hinter, you're someone that hints rather than prays, then you got a bad testimony. The silence of preachers today, all the drama, this generation, this young, younger generation of preachers cannot take anything hardly. I'm just preaching what God has put on my heart. We need some men of God that will get some, get some grit about them and quit whining about everything in the ministry. Quit whining about every time somebody says something about you. Criticism is always going to come and, and criticism is always going to be there. You, you can't afford to go around and complain all the time. You're, the people need to see you strong in faith. And how they see you strong in faith is not getting up and bragging on your prayer life, not getting up and bragging about how what a great Christian you are and just always propping yourself up to be something strong. No, people will detect if you're strong in faith by what you face and how you react, what you go through in life. When you just take a stand and go on and serve God and don't say anything, they'll take more note of that than you will promoting yourself. I'm talking about as men of God, we could have revival if preachers would get broken, if preachers would get humble, if preachers would get would get hungry once again to say, God, I don't want name and I don't want fame. I just want to serve you. I just want to, I just want to be faithful. I just want to be a missionary and I don't care if anybody knows what I'm doing. I don't care if anybody knows as an evangelist what I'm doing or as a pastor what I'm doing. I just want to be faithful and serve. Be a servant of God. I'm talking about real humility. I can't get it off my heart this morning but to every young preacher I would say to you probably the best thing that's going to happen to most is that your face never gets on a poster anywhere. That's not what ministry is about. Ministry is about rolling up your sleeves and getting in the place God puts you. I think about missionaries like Keith Shoemaker. What a great man of God. What a great missionary. And I probably shouldn't name names, but just just serving there and serving where God put him on the mission field. What a, what a great man of God. Away from everything and just plowing and living for God, great is going to be as rewarded. I think about missionaries. I think about missionaries like Brother Ben Andrews, and I could name a lot of missionaries. But I'm talking about families that have served faithfully on the mission field. And again, I probably shouldn't name names, but I think about these people. You, you don't hear much out of them. And they're not out there. They may do some type of, uh, give you some kind of update about their ministry. But I'll tell you what, they're not about being seen and about being heard. They're about serving God. And the burden of my heart today, and I hope and pray that I've not rambled in this area, but the burden of my heart today is that young men will lay down the, the role of trying to be, be, be a celebrity and trying to be... They work so hard at getting their voice out there. I, I pray they'll lay that role down and just find you a place somewhere and get on your knees and say, God, I'm a miserable wretch. And Lord, I don't know why you'd even want to put me in the ministry. I don't know why you'd even want to use me. I don't know why you'd even, why you'd even want to put your hand on me. But God, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for being merciful and thank you for, for allowing me to be a preacher and just be humbled at the fact that God would use you anywhere. I think about the silence of preachers today and then what about the slothfulness of saints in our pews? That's plaguing America. I'm telling you through all that we're going through these days, my number one prayer is this. 
is that God's people would wake up. Time away from church, I hope, has made you better, not worse. I hope that time away from church has not give you the attitude that, well, you know, uh, I would, I, I kindly like this, and and we can worship at home. No, that's we're worshiping at home because we have to. We're not assembling right now, but when we start assembling, the Bible says, "Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is." That means when the church starts coming back, you need to come back. Don't get out of church while you're out of church. Don't, don't get used to, to online. Don't get used to staying at home and sitting in your living room and drinking a cup of coffee and watching the, watching the internet. And I, I'm thankful for that we have these avenues to, to, to provide something during these days. But I don't know about you, but I long to be back in the house of God. I don't want to miss church. Church is a part of my life. And, and church is where I've raised my family. Church is all me and my wife has ever known. And, and I don't want to get away from this place. And I'll tell you, I'd rather sit in a parking lot of a church and well, we didn't have drive-in services it wouldn't work for us but I thank God for those who did and even those who didn't I'm not against that or for that but what I'm saying is if I had a, had the choice and could just sit in the parking lot of the church and be around God's people that'd be a wonderful thing and, and thank God for those who've been able to do that but I'm simply saying this that I don't want to miss the house of God my church attendance is not going to be affected when we go back what about yours if you made your mind up that this is a priority being in the house of God is most important and there's no substitute there is no substitute for missing church I understand there are those who are physically not able I understand there are those that are shut in I'm not talking to that crowd I'm talking to a healthy crowd that when the doors are open you ought to be there lots of absence, lazy uh, church attendance I believe is plaguing our nation long before this came God, help us to have a revival of attendance again. That people will never again walk through the doors of their church and take it for granted. That never again will they walk through the doors of their church and and not think about what a privilege. It's not that I've got to go to church, but what a privilege to get to go to church. I I pray whether it be a Wednesday night, whether it be a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, may they never take Sunday school for granted again. May they never drag in late for church again. But may every time the doors are open, may we come early and happy and walk around and fellowship and just be glad. I don't know about you, but I miss the fellowship of the saints. And don't get me wrong, me and my wife, we have enjoyed some time together. We've got some things done around the house, but we've both said many times that there is no substitute for church. We have God has met with us in our home, and we're thankful that He has met with us. But there is no... There, listen, that's Acts chapter number 2, coming together, fellowshipping together, being amongst the brethren. You say, well, preacher, they went house to house in that days. Yes, they did. But they also built churches and came... and listen, they came to church once from house to house to church. And I'm thankful that we have a local New Testament church to attend. But the slothfulness of saints in our pews has plagued our nation. I want you to see this. The, God is more upset. In this nation, I, I think so many times it's easy to, to talk about the politicians. And rightfully so. I just got through preaching about it. But it's so easy to preach on the politicians, the sodomites, and, and, and the, the pornography crowd, and all of these things. It's easy to talk about, well, Washington's in terrible shape, and it is. And I'm going to tell you what's plaguing America. Why God is plaguing America is because of His people. God's not sending plagues on this land because of the sodomites and because of the beer-drinking crowd. You say, well, preacher, that's wicked sin, yes. But I'm going to tell you, in our text, in Numbers chapter 25, do you realize this? God would have let these people of Moab go on, go on worshiping in their false worship. God would have let these people go on, on these heathens. He would have let them went on serving their false gods and, 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 and committing their wicked sins because there's a reckon, reckoning day coming for them. But the reason God sent a plague in Numbers 25 wasn't for the heathen. It was because the people of God started acting like the heathen. And can I tell you, in our country today, because we're living in a time when church people have, have become so worldly, they've let so much of the world into our churches, I believe it's upset God to the point that He is plaguing this nation. The Bible said, If my people, which are called by my name, 
will humble themselves and pray, Oh God, help me. Help me not to point a finger at politicians. Help me not point a finger at the sodomite crowd. Help me not to point a finger at the beer drinking crowd and say, Well, they're the problem. No, God has pointed the finger clearly and said the problem is not the world. They're, yes, they're wicked. Yes, they're ungodly. And yes, God is going to deal with the heathen. But God said, My problem is not with them. My problem is with the salt of the earth. My problem is with people that have come in haphazardly to church and sat on a church pew and looked at their phone or slept during church or just laid out of church altogether and said, I got a headache or I got a toothache or, or you know, I got a, a little backache or something or, or I want to stay home and watch the Super Bowl or I want to stay home and, and I want to watch the World Series or, or something else or I want to go down to the racetrack on, on Sunday afternoon and miss church on Sunday night. God said, that's more wicked and that's more sinful than any sin going on in America. He says, you've taken my house lightly. You've treated my house lightly. And for that, God is plaguing this nation. You say, preacher, I, I, I don't want to hear that. But I'll tell you what it ought to do. It ought to break us. It ought to bring us to our knees. It ought to cause me and everyone else to get on our face and say, Oh God, wilt thou not revive us again? How about it today? What about you? Only when you and I look at ourselves and say, You know what? They're not the problem. I'm the problem. It's me, O oh Lord. It's me. The lack of absence, the lack of amens in churches. I pray that when we come back to church, amens are greater and stronger than they ever have been. But for too long in our churches, you know what people do? They'll sit there and just look at you. Preach and preach. And I I know everybody don't act the same, but I remember the days when people shouted and said amen. They got behind the preaching and they they backed the preacher up and they got excited about the preaching and and they were involved and and they were were engaging in the preaching. They weren't afraid to raise their hand and amen the preacher. When he got on sin, they amened him. They stood behind the man of God. And those days you could preach, you just about preaching to death because people would say, preachers would say, we're living in a time when preachers, won't even say amen anymore. Uh, they, they'll, they'll get silent on you and they will not back you up. And used to, you'd go to a preacher's meeting and I'm telling you, listen, it was like climbing the walls. People were so fired up and, and so excited. Preachers would come to church and, and they would amen the singing and the preaching and now they're about as quiet as anybody else nowadays. If you're a God-called preacher, you ought to go to church and, you know, and listen, you ought to have the attitude that I don't have to do the preaching to be saying amen. You ought to amen your pastor, amen some other preacher. You say, well, I don't agree with everything. If he's preaching truth, you ought to amen the truth. Amen. You ought to find something to say amen to. And listen, don't be a thermometer. Don't criticize. I believe a critical spirit. You say, well, preacher, there are some we don't agree with. I'm going to tell you something. I don't agree with myself sometimes, but I'm glad that in spite of myself, God don't bless because of me, but he blesses in spite of me. I'm just saying, may God help us to repent and get the amens back in our churches again. Get excited about the Word of God, excited about preaching, hungry for the preaching, the lack of amens. Then I think about this lazy attitudes in our churches. I'm talking about the slothfulness of saints. It's plaguing America. People are looking for an easier way to serve God. You know, if you go back and you read the biographies of of great missionaries and evangelists and, and women and men that have served God, well, one of the things that is highlighted in every one of their, their stories, without them even saying this, is the deep devotion and dedication and consecration they had to serve God. Not all of them were missionaries. I'm thinking about some that, that were just dedicated church members, but the devotion... They were so devoted, they were so dedicated that they were not willing to let anything stand in their way of being faithful and serving God. Today, it's the opposite in a lot of cases. People look for it. Just the least little bit of excuses causes people to, to not serve the Lord. Well, I can't because of this and I can't because of that. I'll tell you, I believe God is calling out during this plague and saying to some, some church members, you need to move up, you need to get more devoted, you need to... You need to you need to be faithful. We're living in a time when it's hard to get people to be faithful to Sunday school, faithful to the choir, faithful to put their tithes in. Hey, our devotion to God ought to be so deep that the things of this world, the circumstances and the problems do not move us. Slothfulness of saints. Today, hear me and hear me well. America, the problem with America, with most, is in our churches. God help us today. God help us to. Be more passionate. And I want to say this, if you're more passionate about politics than you are revival, then you're backslid. 
If you can get all fired up about the news, but you're not fired up about the news of heaven. If you're all fired up about the problems going on in the country, but you're the least bit moved about the problems in our nation, then you need revival. God, help us to get a concern for our churches. God, help us to get on our knees. I, I don't know if this is preaching or if this is pleading with you, but I beg you, God, help us to get on our knees and get burdened again for our, for our churches across this land. Preachers, God, help us to... I, I hope you'll understand what I'm going to say. God, help us to quit dividing, to quit being... We, I know that we can't, we can't uh, hold hands with everybody. And you know, if you know me, you know I don't believe that. But God, help us to just, just be faithful and, and, and work in our own area and, and, and just, just serve God and be faithful and dedicated, not be concerned, not keep up with the latest gossip. Preachers gossip more probably than church members do. I think if we preachers would lay our tongues on the altar and say, Dear God, set a watch before my lips. Dear God, help me. Put, help me to bridle my tongue. Help me to say only the things you would have me to say. I wonder what God could do in this nation if preachers would get right with God and then would get right with each other. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray the message has helped someone. Lord, I pray that there are those listening right now that both preachers and both people, church members, Lord, I pray that they'd get under deep conviction. Lord, I pray for myself and... Or sometimes preaching in an empty building to a camera. Sometimes you wonder how it's coming across. But, but God, I pray that somehow the Holy Spirit would take the message and really speak to hearts, Lord, right now. It's not going to be my words that's going to get a hold of people, but I pray that the Word of God, Lord, would get a hold of hearts today. I pray that as church members, God, we would see the air of our ways. God, that we would quit posting and we would start praying And Lord, we would start preaching. I pray that young preachers that are listening right now, God, that they would drop the ego. God, that they would lose the pride and realize that they don't know anything. God, it's a great day in my life when I realized I could do nothing and I knew nothing. And Lord, if they would realize that they're not the the glamorous and great person, preacher, that the devil tells them that they are, that we're just clay in your hands. And God, if you don't touch us, there'll be no preaching. There'll be no... There'll be, no, there'll be no real results. God, help, help our preachers, help our young preachers, God, to get some convictions and stand against some things. But God, help them to learn to learn the Bible, not just learn to be against some stuff, but help them to know the Bible. God, I pray for our churches once again. God, give us a burden, give us a passion for the things of God. Help us to, Lord, to turn off the news and open the Bible and get hungry and get holy once again. I ask you, dear God, Give us a burden back in our pulpits and in our pews. Give us revival. When we come back together, Lord, may we come back changed. Lord, help us to see that the plague that's on America is because of the church. And if the church don't have revival, Lord, then things will only be worse in days to come. Father, I pray that you'll have your way now in Jesus' name. Amen.